0: This is RDQI.
1: Farmer Jay here. Hope you will. I'm sure your current lawn mower is just fine. But did you know that you can mow your lawn half the time with the wildcat tractor? That's right. Think about what you could be doing in that time. You could be tending to your crops, maybe feeding your goats. But really, you'll be saving a lot of time. Call your local Wildcat tractor dealer and ask the sales representative about the X350T. ride along. Hey Ryan, how do you find balance? Um. Oh, so, 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 sorry, yeah. sorry. I was covering up the, covering up the last word here. How do you find balance in a cocktail?
0: Oh, that's so much easier. Okay. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I was um,
1: a little worried. I was a little worried.
0: Yeah, there. that was—I uh, almost had some existential dread heaping on me there, which makes me want to have a cocktail. But we'll get to that maybe in a bit. Um, establishing balance in a cocktail. Well, that's a great question. Um, I've had the the luxury of having quite a few friends be some professional bartenders, mixologists type. So I've kind of picked their brain a bit. Um, let alone my wife, who who's definitely worked behind a bar and is an expert in her own way. Um, yeah, I mean, because I think the beauty of a cocktail is you're balancing flavors off of each other to create something dynamic. And, you know, I'm going to take it to music, of course, and be like, it's kind of like a song. I mean, if you don't build tension in a song, there's no release of that tension. If you don't, you know, if, uh, and there's no joy in music unless there is some relief of tension or some satisfaction in some other area, aspect of the music. Right. So it's, it's like intentionally setting up things that just kind of pique the human mind. And I think it comes down to what do we, what do humans actually taste? So, I mean, first thing usually I think about is balancing, um, The sweetness of a drink, and usually the sweetness I think of is balancing the amount of, essentially the alcohol, the booziness of the drink. You know, anyone who has ever tasted pure grain distilled spirits, it's, um, there's a very pronounced alcoholic note. And the first way I think of balancing that out in a cocktail is to add something sweet. And once I add something sweet, I'm like, oh, I got to add something sour, and then once he had sour, it's like, well, bitter would probably really tie this together. And that's kind of the big four that most people think of. But I know that, in my mind, I know there's more than that. I mean, what do you think about when you're balancing a cocktail?
1: Well, I think that's an interesting way to describe it. And and, and I, honestly, it kind of got me thinking about... like is is this how the cocktail is invented? Which I I don't know, but y- you know, if anybody who's ever had a a, a base spirit, especially uh not uh, a a not quality base spirit, uh it's a it's kind of it's a rough thing to drink, and it makes you feel real good, so you you choke it down, but you know, I I I would think that if I was you know. <laughs> drinking rot gut whiskey. Like I like how this feels, but I don't like how this tastes. So what do I do to make it better? Well probably add sugar and then okay, well this is really sweet and cloying. How do I how do I get rid of that but still have the sweetness? Well add some acid like you know add some lemon juice or lime juice, some citrus. Mm-hmm. Um and that to me is is the like the balance because kind of all of those flavors by themselves are not pleasant. <laughs> no no, but no. <laughs> together if they're all supporting each other the right way it creates this perfectly pleasant drink that we call a cocktail yeah um just really like a good example as i made a um i made a, a pina colada over the weekend um and i took a recipe from oh shoot what's his name uh we'll put it in the show notes it's a he's a he's a cocktail youtuber um and he creates you know he he does demonstration videos on a classic cocktail but then he does it three different ways so he'll do the basic version sort of a modern version and then a, a sciencey chemistry version oh um, that's cool okay <laughs> yeah it really is and the the um so the pina colada that I made, pina colada is is it's very very sweet. It has the potential to be very very sweet. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you balance it appropriately with the right amount of lime juice, um, orange juice, pineapple juice, and and you know some kind of bittering element, it turns a an overly sweet kind of dessert cocktail that you don't really want to have more than one into this like just unbelievably well balanced drink that. Ended up just sort of drinking all night long and <laughs> didn't make me feel all that great. But uh, <laughs> right, the next right, morning, right. but but it was <laughs> yeah. They were sessionable. Let me just put it that way.
0: <laughs> gotcha. Yeah. Uh, easy to quaff. Okay. Yeah. 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 Which I mean, that that in and of itself, uh, I think, is a pretty good hallmark of a cocktail. Is if 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 you have a sip of it, and you immediately are just like, oh, I want to have more, it's probably because there's something tantalizing about the balance of elements. And everyone's going to have a different taste, you know, things that they're accustomed to and like. Um, So everyone's going to, you know, obviously have a different approach to how they make a cocktail and what they even like in a cocktail. Um, But yeah, actually, you know, it's funny. You brought up kind of... uh, So, of course, me being me, I looked into the history of cocktails a bit. And I guess Mm -hmm. the term, actually, because... Okay, because defining a cocktail is kind of like a a pedantic exercise, of course. Um, But apparently one of the first people to pin down what a cocktail was was in, uh, yep, 1806 in the Balance and Columbian Repository, which was published out of Hudson, New York. And they they defined it as a stimulating liquor composed of any kind of sugar, water, and bitters. Vulgarly called a bittered sling. Because a sling would be basically liquor sugar in dilution via water and that's that's what a sling is but then you add the bittering element and then it becomes a cocktail i guess and apparently mm. and this is unverified so don't you know this is the story but it's a good story apparently cocktails are called cocktails because they were basically prescribed for you to drink in the morning to get over a hangover so like when the cock crows when the rooster crows <laughs> you know have a cocktail um, I find that fascinating. That's hilarious. Really? <laughs> yeah. Cause I guess the idea is that the, that like, you know, bitters and water, it's supposed to be good for your stomach. Um, so someone's like, well, why don't you just add a little bit of liquor in there too and a little bit of sugar and it'll taste better, you know? And it's like, well, I, you know, look, hair of the dog is one thing we'll probably get to talking about later, but I think that's a pretty funny origin story.
1: <laughs> yeah. Especially, you know, what will make a hangover feel better. Just everybody knows that you cure a hangover by drinking more alcohol. And
0: Yeah, we should also probably point out, um, obviously, alcohol is a poison. It is toxic to the human body. Your liver has to process it, and your liver definitely suffers through the processing of alcohol. And the reason you have a hangover is your body is literally in withdrawal from alcohol. That's what a hangover is. Obviously, there's more going on there, but that's essentially what your body is going through, which is why it's such a miserable experience. So, hair of the dog can mitigate the feeling, but all you're doing is just getting back on in the saddle, so to speak. We'll, let's talk about that later, though, because I'm really more interested in the balance of cocktails at the moment. Because I think, yeah, salty, sweet, mm-hmm. bitter, and the boozy alcohol, you know, those are pretty understandable. But thinking about it and talking, certainly talking to some, you know, experts or, you know, bartenders, I'd say. There's, there's other elements that I didn't really thought about. And one of the key ones, I didn't realize how important this is in history of cocktails. Cocktails are impossible to make without ice, which we take in the 21st century, we take ice for granted. You know, our refrigerators typically make it for us. Um, we usually don't have to make it by hand or shape it by hand or do anything. But until ice production was like literally shippable and recreatable... Cocktails have been few and far between to make, and I never put that together before.
1: I I didn't either until right now.
0: (laughs) Right. I mean, it makes sense why in the 19th century when rail shipping and also rail cooling cars became technology that was available, that all of a sudden cocktail culture could be developed. Because that's the main method of dilution in a cocktail is to shake or stir over ice. There's all all sorts of philosophies mm-hmm. about what size and shape of ice you're supposed to use for different cocktails, um, but that I thought was fascinating to me. I, that's why I'm such a history nerd. I think, because those little nuances kind of kind of catch me in the in the funny bone, so to speak.
1: Well, I was thinking, how disappointing was it for you to find out that you know? Cocktails don't date back to prior to 1000 AD, but that makes, (laughs) that makes all the sense in the world. Sure. Sure. I mean, yeah, ice is really kind of fascinating. I remember, um, I, I remember in, I believe it was in the Czech Republic, um, on a wine trip, um, or on a, on a bike trip through the wine country in Moravia, um, we stopped at you know we're in this this um, wine cellar It's just these like it's like a hobbit hole <laughs> it was just these winding um, underground passages and there was a whole giant underground area that was used as ice storage um, and you know they used to just basically cut ice from from lakes in the winter and then bring it and pile it all up in in basically just a cave and there was so much of it and it was so cool down there that it would last for you know months and months and months which i just thought was fascinating yeah yep. i mean that ties into but that, i mean ice is so powerful because like cocktails are, are real nice to have but you know ice was really more important for food preservation and shipping and all that
0: yeah and that and i don't think it was moravia i think it was in Cuz is Moravia is it next to Bohemia or is it I'm not very familiar on my geography yeah. of that region. Cuz Bohemia is where lager comes from basically and it's it's the same idea that you could you could ferment beer in these cool temperatures cuz you had these caves full of ice. And that's and if you're not familiar uh,
1: Yeah. Well no actually you're you're totally right I miss I misremembering that. <laughs> kind of like our memory conversation. <laughs> um um, but anyway, yeah, Bohemia is the eastern, uh, the, sorry, the western part of the country, and then Moravia is the eastern part, and there's another tiny little region in the north. but
0: Gotcha. But we don't talk about that region. Not in RdQI, at least. <laughs> Silesia? Yeah. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, getting back to balance, I mean, the ice is so critical to diluting and also into chilling, because as you, cool fl- as you cool a liquid, right, its, air, or its aromas are going to be released differently, and it's also going to mute some flavors as well. So it's a pretty good way. I mean, honestly, like prohibition in our country helped cocktails in some ways because the quality of liquor being produced was um, typically inferior. I mean, not always. I'm sure there's some great bootleggers <laughs> making some, some darn fine whiskey, you know, or moonshine rather. Um, but... Mm -hmm. You had to find a way to kind of cover up the the nasty bits. And so chilling it is one way to kind of mitigate that factor. And there's also the benefit of just changing the structure. And what is better than like on a hot summer day than a cold, ice cold cocktail? You know, if that's what you're in for that day, that's pretty satisfying, Mm -hmm. the cooling effect of a liquid.
1: Yeah. So what... And you may know this, I, I, for the longest time, I thought the ice part of a cocktail, you know, like shaking a cocktail over ice was just to cool it down. I didn't realize that dilution was like as important of a outcome of that process. What does dilution actually do to the the balance of a cocktail?
0: Yeah, well, I mean, like if you, you know, just to do an example, like if you just poured um, a gin into a shaker and stirred it with ice, which I don't believe in the whole bruising of gin thing. So I think you could shake it too. I know that's like some dogma I'm stepping on here, but whatever. Um, and you just taste it, you know, just like stir it with a spoon, right. And just pull the spoon out and taste it after you've stirred for, let's say 20, 10 revolutions and taste it. Okay. Obviously if you're doing this example, you should be 21, um, just to COA really quick. And then you know, keep stirring for ten more revolutions, and just taste what the liquid that comes out of that. And what you what you'll notice is that the alcohol upfront note, you know, because most gin is about forty percent alcohol by volume, it's going to start to the punchiness of it. That notice, like how the alcohol hits your palate, will start to be lessened and mitigated, and to some degree. The aromatic compounds and the herbal elements of the gin, you know, the distillates that we add to it that give gin the quality that we think, like, oh, that's gin, that's not vodka. Those will start to kind of just, I wouldn't say change shape. I guess changing shape is a weird way to put it, but I always, I tend to visualize things. So it it tends to kind of just change the balance, even of the spirit itself. I mean, we're not even talking about adding any sugar or any bitters to this. We're just talking just whatever spirit you're working with. So if you, if you wonder like, why is my cocktail taking so long? It's because the proper way typically to dilute the cocktail to the right flavor level takes time. Like Literally, if you wonder why they're stirring for so long or why they're shaking for so long, it's not because like, Oh, we got to get it nice and cold. Like, no, that happens pretty quick. It's more about making sure that because the amount of water you add to your cocktail, let's say you're making, um, You know, there's, I don't know, of course I'm blanking on any cocktail right now, but you know, you have a spirit, you have a sweetener and you have a bitter element and you taste those, if you just pour those in.
1: Perfect, perfect.
0: Yeah, there you go. If you just put those three elements without any ice or blending in ice or anything and you just taste it, it's like, it's a punch in the face. You know, it's like drinking espresso. If you're really into a really (laughs) potent coffee flavor then espresso is for you. If you're not, maybe drip coffee, pour over coffee, or a latte, something, you know, additional volume of liquid to dilute that punchiness of flavor will be enjoyable. So, I mean, depending on the cocktail and how you want it, you're just going to dilute it
1: to a different level. Yeah, which is an element. I would guess most, you know, anybody beyond professional bartenders probably don't consider it a lot.
0: Well, yeah. I mean, I think most people who enjoy cocktails don't necessarily think about how to make cocktails or try to learn to make cocktails themselves. I'm not good at making a cocktail. Um, I've spent most of my life surrounded by people who are really great at it. So I've been like, Shh. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I'm,
0: I'm, I'm good. You know, I can talk a lot about cocktails, but in practice, <laughs> I really know nothing.
1: <laughs> I remember when we would, <clears throat> when we were kind of trying to design, not design, but you know, uh m- make cocktails with ingredients that we had around following you know principles of balance we'd obviously sometimes get it wrong and every single time we did we just give it to your wife and just she would fix it <laughs> yep. every time she just like <laughs> smell it give it a tiny little taste she would know exactly what to add to bring it back in perfect balance uh I mean, it was wonderful, but also really Infuriating. frustrating that I could not do that. Oh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, yeah.
0: I mean, you know, it's like anyone. If anyone's trained in something and they have a a background in a way, like a method of thinking about that so they can deconstruct any problem into smaller problems and then fix those small problems, thus fixing the large problem, they're just going to be better at it, you know? Um, and so, yeah, having said that, to all the bartenders hmm. in the world, you have a very difficult job and you put up with some miserable people. So we thank you for what you do, because it's not <laughs> just that you make good drinks. It's you have to make drinks for, um, I can't think of an appropriate people word for their worst. Yes, yeah, so there we go. That's a good way. And I think another interesting element of balance that I was not hip to until talking to some people was balancing astringency. So astringency is kind of like... Um, like if you have a red wine, like a Cabernet Sauvignon or something like that, and it has kind of like a drying element, like you drink it and your mouth just kind of feels like it's drying out at the end, that's typically from tannins, which are an astringent compound, or at least they act astringently in our mouths. Or like black tea, if you oversteep black tea, it'll kind of do a similar thing. Um, and you can add astringent elements to various in various forms to cocktails to either Um, try and take out some of the overly sweetness or roundness of a drink, you know, and kind of bring balance there. Or you can leave, intentionally leave out astringent elements to kind of make the cocktail a little bit more mouth-watering. Like one of my favorite tips I ever learned was to dilute pure citric acid in water and just with an eyedropper, add like a drop to a cocktail. And that citric acid will just... Make your mouth water as you drink because that's kind of just a human response to citric acid in general, and it's just like, oh, that's really cool. And then you know this bartender, she was explaining to me like, yeah, and you can use you you can use citric acid in the sense to increase the mouth wateringness, the mouth water note, without adding any perceptible flavor per se, to balance off an astringent element. So you know you could use black tea in a cocktail, let's say, and and you could mix it with uh, lemon and maybe a ginger syrup and uh, a nice gin or something like that. Right. And it might be a little astringent Mm -hmm. and you're always like, well, if I add more lemon, I'm going to add more lemon flavor. Right. I don't want more lemon flavor necessarily. I just want more of the sourness, the mouthwatering aspect. She's like, and that's why I have this component behind my bar. A little, like a drop will do you, you know, a dab will do you basically is the idea. And it's just, I love that. I love people who have such a refined understanding and intuition and then share that with me. And I'm like, oh, this is delicious. You know, it's
1: I think it's a beautiful thing. So something you just said really kind of struck a chord with me um, because, you know, you and I understand the, the concept of balance. But in practice, you know, we're not so good at it because we don't do it professionally. Um, you know, we I, at least for me, I, I tend to think of uh, balance maybe incorrectly. Um, and I'll try and overcompensate too much or too little or not, you know, not think about really what what being out of balance means and what what I actually need to balance the the drink itself. Sure. And I think that really that struck a chord with me because I feel that way about balance in your life. So if we, yeah. if I go back to my <laughs> my first question before I. Before I flip the page over, um, how do you find balance in life? Well, I, it, it seems so simple and yet, you know, every human on planet Earth will tell you that it's anything but. I mean, it's, you know. Sure. Finding balance in, in your life is, is, you know, a constant lifelong struggle for most people. Um,
0: Especially when it comes to consuming alcohol as a part of, of your life.
1: Right. So if, you know, if you think that you're drinking too much, is the answer to just stop drinking entirely? Well, well no, because it's something you enjoy or it's, you know, a coping mechanism for a different problem. Mm, yeah. And you need a coping mechanism, so you're not eliminating the problem itself. You're eliminating the coping mechanism. What's that going to do? Well, you're just going to find a new coping mechanism. Sure.
0: Okay, I'm following you.
1: So, I kind of feel like balance in, in a in a cocktail is, and that's sort of what eludes me with cocktails, but (laughs) probably better at finding balance in life, is it's not always obvious what the answer is to maintain balance or to find balance if something's out of balance. It really takes a lot of practice, um, but also a lot of deep thinking to really identify what it is that's going to bring either your drink or your life back into balance.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. And I think, I mean... I think we've mentioned this before, during the pandemic year, I'm sure everyone who was in the practice of consuming alcohol probably consumed more alcohol during quarantine or isolation, whatever you want to call it. And again, it's a coping mechanism, just like you said. And it, I think it's good to be able to reset and refocus on why. So you know, And personally for me, I mean, you know, I just went through a period where I wasn't drinking. Um, I wasn't even consuming coffee, mm-hmm. caffeine. It was just like, I need to make sure that the habits i developed over the past year, that I only really carry for the habits that are good for me. You know, and so my method was abstinence. You know, I went through a period where I was just like, nope, I'm just not going to consume. Um, and it was it was, mm-hmm. it was pretty rough. You know, it's not fun, that's for sure. Um, but it also reminded me why I enjoy those substances, those drugs. I mean, they're both drugs, right? Mm-hmm. And for me, that was my method. I don't think that's necessarily th- going to work for everyone. Um, certainly, if you're in a... I mean, unfortunately, if, you, if your body has a dependency on alcohol, that's probably not even a wise choice. Um, alcohol typically doesn't... Alcohol can kill you, of course, if you consume too much, but so can withdrawal. Um, so, you know, if, if you're out there and you're really wondering if you have a problem with alcohol... I would seek professional advice to go through that with someone because it's not, it's not just as simple as like, well, I'm just going to stop. It's, it's deeper than that. And I would encourage you to find someone who can professionally help you through it. But you know, if it's just like, ah, yeah, I just think I drink a little bit too much throughout the week, you know, and I know I don't have a dependency issue because I can go multiple days without drinking. I just, I just think i drink a couple, a couple too many drinks, Leading into the weekend, sort of thing. It's like, okay, maybe it's wise to just cut it out and re-evaluate re-eval- why you drink to begin with. You know, it's kind of, it's kind of like that adage, like you know, if I'm gonna butcher this, but like if uh, if you love something, let it go, and if it comes back to you, um, you know, it was meant to be, sort of thing. It's kind of the, a similar sentiment, you know, or at least that's how I was approaching it. Because mm-hmm. um, the absence really taught me, like, oh, I, what I enjoy about it is when I'm in a, a social environment where there's people around me and it's just a nice way to somewhat quickly get people into a more social mood. You know, I think that's a pretty fine instance in my life where I'm happy and, and willing to consume alcohol. So I was like, okay, that's really important for me to recognize. And just to name it, I mean, keeping a journal like Garrett was saying a couple episodes ago is so critical to keeping track of what your life is. And, um, and for me I think it just works cuz if I write something down I tend to remember it better for some reason. Um so keeping note, you know, taking notice of changes and thinking, contemplating like you said, Dave, why, you know, why do I do this? You know, why is this habit in place here?
1: That's a really good point. Yeah, well you you're thinking or you thought about that as a mixologist, you know. Yeah. You felt out of balance, but you didn't maybe quite know why, so you did this experiment to understand and think more critically about what specifically is out of balance and what you need to do to correct it.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I guess you really could put it that way. Yeah, that makes sense to me. Yeah, I mean, going way back to our Beer and Civilization episode, um, it's entirely possible that bread was invented as kind of like a a precursor to making beer more efficiently, um, which is to say it's entirely possible that the reason people settled in cities was to produce alcohol, which I don't know we don't know if that's the case, but there's a lot of indication that potentially that is a cause for civilization. And if that's the case, then there there may be there is something to the fact that consuming alcohol can improve social interactions. Obviously, we all know. That Drinking alcohol can also completely break down social norms and communication and be devastating and destructive of entire people groups even. So obviously, you know, balance is the key, everything in moderation. But that's one aspect of alcohol that I enjoy, is making sure it's about bringing people together and enjoying each other's company, no matter the differences that we each have. And I think to take it back to cocktails, it's kind of like, I mean, a a cocktail is a very American thing. Um, Obviously it's been exported around the world and the world loves this idea, this concept of balancing these elements off each other in this particularly unique way. But when you think about it, you know, if you go to a bar, you're typically, you're going to a place where other people are and someone is serving you um, and you are serving them typically through cash or something of the sort. Instead of, you know, if your taste isn't for wine or for beer and you want a spirit, but, you know, drinking two ounces of gin, it's typically consumed very quickly. And I don't know if that's a great habit, right? So having someone who serves you says like, I'll give you that gin, but here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to add these components and I'm going to make it taste like something entirely different. And it's going to make you want to sit, linger and sip and carry on a conversation. I think that's, that's brilliant. You know, I think that at the heart of it is something unique and pretty beautiful. Of course, it can be twisted and distorted right quick.
1: Yeah, absolutely. But I, but I think you're, you're dead on. It, it almost opens up lines of communication between human beings that would not have been opened otherwise. Talking to people you don't know. You know I, human beings are, unfortunately, it's a human tendency to be distrustful or suspicious of people you don't know hmm. But, you know, think about how many more strangers you've talked to under the influence of alcohol than you would have otherwise. It just it just sort of breaks down those barriers. And yeah, you're right. It can be taken very way, way, way too far. And there's obviously a lot of problems that alcohol causes. But I think it's it's enrichment of the social fabric is I don't think there's anything else really like it. Is there anything else really like it?
0: Yeah, I think there is, but I mean, you can look at—I <laughs> mean, look at any Islamic culture. You know, uh, alcohol is forbidden, um, and but those cultures—you know—they create tea houses, and those become the hub of um, social life in many ways. I mean, I'm—I'm I'm, I'm guessing based on what I've read. I've never visited a a country that is under Islamic law or anything of the sort. Um, I have some friends who are Muslim, but it's, you know, it's, that's different. Um, I've not, I've never been immersed in the culture. Right. So, but from what I understand, it's like, it's a different cultural expectation. They use a different drug for it. I mean, tea is a very stimulating beverage. Um, it can facilitate conversation and a unique uh, frame of mind. And if your culture says, look, we're not going to drink, but here's, here's another way for us to go and be in the public place in the marketplace, so to speak. And that's great. You know, I think that's awesome. My ethnic cultural heritage, you know, being Irish and Polish, is not so much centered around caffeine. It's definitely more centered around alcohol in that sense. <laughs> um, there's so many jokes in there somewhere, but probably none of them are very couth. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, I think I hear your point. I think you and I both agree it's a great way to engage in um, meeting strangers and carrying on converse- conversation but there are definitely ways other ways around it that are equally as beautiful if not more beautiful honestly
1: you're absolutely right i yeah i i retract that statement it's there are there are you know not not maybe not necessarily many but there are definitely other ways <clears throat> other you know social lubricants so to speak um but 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 i think that's consistent right there's some kind of there's some kind of drug that somehow puts you in a different more sociable frame of mind that you know i i think you can almost you i doubt all cultures but I, most i don't think that's a, that's outlandish to say most cultures have some kind of tradition of you know gathering around some kind of intoxicating Consumable, Mm -hmm. no. Maybe I don't know. (laughs) No,
0: I I mean I'm yeah I'm no anthropologist, but racking my mind, I mean even if you're not consuming caffeine or alcohol or some or you know coca leaves or something like that, there's there tends to be rituals that people go through. I mean if people sit in a circle and sing, it's not they're not consuming a drug, but their brain their brain chemistry is certainly being transformed. So there's definitely something here Dave I
1: I think you're onto it like
0: I so think all groups of people is that an
1: element it, it do you think that that <clears throat> some kind of behavior that takes you out of your mind is that is that necessary as human beings to find balance